0: All right, I do believe we are live, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream. I am your humble host, Lev Polyakov, and we are here on Break the Rules talking about Judaism, the esoteric secrets of Judaism, with Justine Brooke Murray. And Gnostic Informant back with us. Uh, Neil, it's a great pleasure to have you back with us, man. I'm always a big fan of you. And now you have this weird sun-looking thing in the background. That's very nice. So anyway, Justine, you are an ambassador for Turning Point USA uh, for uh, a, a certain uh, institute, right? A, a Prager University, if you will. Yeah. And uh, you are also Miss Central New Jersey. So there we go. You got a lot of wonderful credentials there. And you are also a fellow small hat member of the tribe just like me. And <laughs> I know that right now things have been pretty tough when it comes to, you know, Judaism and Israel and Palestine and all of this uh, horrible, th- uh, horrible things that are going on right now. But what I think is important to kind of dissect here and figure well, out where we- exactly we are is to go into the past the philosophy, the history of how exactly Judaism came to be what it means for the people who are practicing Judaism right now and also whether or not there's some kind of a greater mission that's going on in the world today when it comes to the role that uh, Jews are going to play. So we're going to see about all of that. But First let's start with Justine and as always guys make sure to like, subscribe, smash that uh, bell as well and uh, patreon.com slash break the rules. So Justine tell us about yourself how you got uh, started in uh, Judaism and uh, how you find your yourself also today with the political situation uh where you happen to be and what being a jew means for you when it comes to that
1: of course so being jewish it's it's a really unique it's a unique group because you're a religion but you're also an ethnicity you're an ethno religion you're a culture you're peoplehood and i grew up reform my dad was not jewish my mom is jewish and she was raised conservative not just politically but she was raised. she's actually liberal politically up until she had she had me but she was raised religiously conservative and her dad her dad actually came from a communist family they were ethnically jewish but they came from what was then uh it was taken it was russia but then it was ukraine or now it's ukraine and Her mom's side of the family came from an Orthodox family. So her mom was very, her mom's side was very Orthodox. Her dad's side was actually uh, communist. So it kind of left my mom in the middle, but she still, she practiced Judaism. She was very observant. And then she had me and my sister. And this was in the late 1990s. So the world was very modernized, and it, it continues to modernize. We're typical American Jews, and we, we observed all the main holidays, Rosh Hashanah, we fasted on Yom Kippur, we did Pesach, Passover, and I, I was bat mitzvah, and I went to shul. But it was, it was this like modernized, when you go to a Reform synagogue, the thing that I remember the most is my rabbi, who at some point was a female, and you're actually not supposed to be a female if if you're, follow, if you're not supposed to be a female rabbi. And she would bring out a guitar and we'd sing all these hippie songs about peace and love. And I, I honestly loved a lot of the music, but while well, they were teaching this in my shul, when I was in Hebrew school, they were teaching us to sing songs like Salam Shalom, and, and it meant you know peace between Arabs and Jews. Arabs our age in the Middle East and also in some schools in America, surprisingly enough, in schools in Philadelphia, they were teaching their kids to kill Jews. They were teaching kids to kill Americans, singing songs about cutting off the heads of infidels in the name of Allah. So it it somewhat boggled me. Even at a young age then, my, my parents were involved in, in local politics, but this wasn't too far after 9-11, so my parents were on high alert. And I, growing up, I, I couldn't understand. Um, you know, we were all for peace, but we spent more time advocating for peace among people who don't want peace with us, who wanted to murder us, rather than actually practicing Judaism, rather than actually learning about the Torah and the Talmud. And I don't think things really seem to change for me until I was always a proud Jew, but I didn't really learn a lot uh, about what it actually meant to be Jewish until I went to college and leftists taped up anti-Semitic posters in my dormitory. And then I, I went on a birthright trip to Israel for a week. But when I came back, the anti-Semitism on campus came worse. Uh, became worse. And it was from these Black Lives Matter supporters and some residence advisors in my dormitory, some faculty. I remember at the very end of my, my college years, I actually couldn't return to campus senior year partially because I received death threats Because I stood up for a professor who's also Jewish. She was also a Zionist pro-Israel. But she wouldn't she she was very non-partisan in class. And students found out that she was pro-Israel online and they wanted her fired. And the the attacks toward me, I mean, this was really just the climax of I was mobbed on campus. I was chased down the streets by Black Lives Matter activists. I remember i was approached one time by a professor who placed her hand on my shoulder in the dark and she said you better watch out it it was like she was a secret police officer and this all happened because i was reporting for an outlet called campus reform and we would take videos and we would write articles exposing first amendment violations and left-wing bias on on college campuses so this blm crowd they they were these Radical students, much like the students—actually, they're the same students—protesting for Hamas today. They were blocking all these campus buildings, and what were they demanding? They were demanding segregated dormitory options. Segregated dormitory options in the name of, of of equality. So when I actually stood up for against this, guess who? Guess who wanted to shut me down? Fellow Jews from Hillel, and you guys know about Hillel, right? Have you?
0: No, I don't know about Hillel, but I assume that uh, there's always been a lot of disagreements within the Jewish community. That old joke about how a Jew living on an island wanted to build two synagogues, one to attend and one not to attend. (laughs) So I think that's been a very common thing going on this whole time where Jews fight fellow Jews sometimes much more than non-Jews fight Jews. But anyway, go on. What is this Hillel thing?
1: So Hillel, it's a popular Jewish group on, on college campuses and, and the national Hillel, they're, they're a place where, and they have branches, um, branches on different campuses. So they it's, it's a place where you can go and learn about Judaism. You can observe the Sabbath on, on Friday evenings on your campus. You can go to Shabbat services. You can have Shabbat dinner and you can celebrate all the Jewish holidays. Let's say you can't go home for, for spring break during Pesach. You can observe it right there. And it's great, it's great. But the problem is, is that at least on my campus, and I'm not saying this about the National Hillel uh, organization because they've been very good recently about standing up to anti-Semitism. I, I've seemed to uh, come to agreements on, on some of the initiatives they're working on right now. But unfortunately, there's a very leftist, atheistic, not even Jewish aspect to it. And it, it really resembled, it. It was really a problem on my campus because these Hillel is run by these bitchy girls and they they didn't observe Judaism. They claimed they were Jewish only when it was cool to be part of an identity group. If you want to say that Trump is a bigot or a racist, that was the perfect time to say, well, as a Jew, I believe that, you know, the right white supremacists, Trump supporters, they're evil. and." and my identity is being oppressed. But then suddenly when it came to actual anti-Semitism on campus, they they wanted to pretend they weren't even Jewish and that the issue didn't Mm. even exist. And I wrote an op-ed my freshman year in college exposing this anti-Semitic dorm staffer for taping up an image of a a Star of David with a slash over it. And he taped it up in order to support the free Palestine movement. And when I wrote this op-ed, the people who came after me were people from Hillel. These girls who said, "quote As anti-BDS trained activists. Now BDS is the boycott, divest, san- san- sanction movement to discriminate against Israelis and Jews who are who support Israel. Well, they said, as activists, basically against anti-Semitism, we don't want to poke the bear. We want to. We should just, you know." we don't want to say anything because we don't want to upset anyone well some of these same people years later turn into anti-israel activists advocating for our demise and and the the most insidious thing about it is that that's when they'll say that they're the proudest to be jews to to Mm -hmm. basically say as a jew i am going to push other jews to stop being jewish basically and this goes all the way if we want to talk about history this goes all the way back to the the fight between the maccabees and hellenistic jews Mm. we always when we talk about the hanukkah story we always talk about jews fighting the greeks who who wanted to colonize us and force us to stop being Jewish or else we get murdered and or expelled. But what we were actually fighting against, we were fighting against fellow Jews who would rat us out to the Greeks, who who would help kill us because we refused to stop being Jewish. They were the Hellenistic Jews. That's who we were fighting along Mm. along with the Greek oppressors. And we're facing modern-day Hellenistic Jews today. The, the Jewish voice well, of peace. If, Rock-
0: if, if, if only. I mean, Hellenism, as far as Alexander the Great and all that, was still about you know, personal transcendence and civilization and things of that nature. I think what's happening right now is kind of the complete opposite of that. But I do want to bring in Neil into this conversation, because what you're saying right now about the Jews not getting along with other Jews, it almost seems like there is this pressure that's been put on Jews since the very beginning You're always going to find that people, including some people in the chat, are going to be against Jews by default. And in a way, I think this is something, you know, it's very horrible to say, well, this was needed. But in a way, if we look at the bigger plan over here, if not for the persecution, if not for the pressure that was put on uh, the Jewish people, then would the Jewish people even be around? in a strange way because if the jewish people were to let's say be like any other people as far as assimilating into the greek world into the roman world i don't think that they would be around for so long and also when it comes to that pressure there is some kind of a uh, let's say inner transformation that i think also takes place where you start to inquire about a lot of other things that's going on in the world probably because you're not as attached to a very particular let's say uh, larger state that uh, comes flourishes and then goes away but you're attached to something else and that's been a very interesting question that i want to also address to uh, neil right now what exactly do you think it is neil that a lot of Jewish people are attached to that makes them inquire so much about the nature of reality where we do have all these various arguments and even the name Israel means to wrestle with God. It's not <laughs> like, you know, it's the opposite of a religion where, you know, they would just submit. But I'm not going to get into that right now. But you know what I mean? Like, it's it's something where you don't have the comfort of just blending into whatever else is going on around you and there's something inside of you that always makes you want to dig and dig and dig and argue and argue. What do you think it is, Neil? What do you think going on here?
2: Well, I do. Th- I, I think it's interesting that like Ju- Judaism uh, and the Ju- Jewish people um, have this, like this tie to their religion that, that makes them a people, even when they're abroad like during the diaspora. Um, if it wasn't for that, like, like for like, most people i don't know if you're english or you're french or whatever you're not like thinking about you know our 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 jewish ancestors that lived in britain i can't we we need to rebuild our our, our homeland and, and build that a temple to the sun and have our have our ancestral land back but the jewish people have that uh, identity and i i i i think that's um something to um I, 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 I applaud that in a way. Like, I, th- I think that's something to, uh, to look up to in a way. It's, it's, a, it's a central identity. And I think that, that that's something that, like, makes the Jewish people throughout history really interesting. Because no matter what time period they're in, like, you can look at, I don't know, medieval era when the Spanish Inquisition is trying to force them to convert into Christianity. And a lot of them do. But a lot of them don't as well, and they sort of survive all these different time periods, living in ghettos and the Holocaust in Germany. And now they actually because they held on to that identity, that religion, that core identity of a people, uh, the dream of going back home is reality. It is kind of an interesting thing. Um, you made a good point about the Maccabees thing because that was sort of the, that was sort of the issue was. You had antiochus the the king of the king of the seleucid the seleucids and he's building gymnasiums and temples to zeus and a lot of the jews that were living there were like what's wrong with this let's have a gymnasium like this is the world this is everyone else is doing it i want to do it too and uh there was that devout group within that fought against hellenism um and that seems to be the theme of the jewish people throughout history um I do think it's interesting because you brought me on to talk, like you saw, you saw my video and you wanted to discuss that a little bit. Yeah. I do think it's interesting because when you look at the origins of Judaism itself, um, I see, what I see is like this cultural mixture of people living in this region. Um, after the fall of the, the first temple, when they get taken over to Babylon and Persia brings them back, what I see happening during that period is exactly them going to Alexandria, uh, convening with King Ptolemy, uh, translating their text into the Septuagint into Greek, and then that's when I see, and, and from my understanding, that's when I see the the, re- the religion of Judaism sort of start to explode and come onto the come onto the uh, the world stage as an entity, as a thing that everyone knows about, and those ideas seem to be not just in Israel, but it seems to be even in the Greek world, the idea of, like the pre-Socratics, for example, the idea of one God being in control and having daemons and messengers, which is the word angel in Greek, sort of working through his creation. And so the reason why I bring that up is because it's interesting because in a way Judaism is separate from everyone else, but it also in a way is aligned with the leading philosophical movements of its time. So, and I think another, another thing of to Judaism that a lot of people don't talk about is it sort of went against all the superstitious um, attitudes of religion of the day. It has a skeptic layer to it. For example, I'll give you just an example from the text. When you have Elijah uh, battling with the pro- prophets of Baal, and they're doing all this magic, they're cutting their hands with making blood out of the out of the fire. And Elijah's just looking at them and was like, that's not gonna work. Like that's not that's not working. Like there's a layer of there's like this layer of philosophical skepticism. I don't I don't mean like atheistic skepticism, I mean like a philosophical skepticism of going against the superstition dogmas that are apparent throughout the world in the pagan religions. So I think Judaism and some of the pre-Socratics are Bringing that to the forefront. And I think so, so that to me is why I think Judaism thrives. And that's why Christianity thrives, because it's coming out of that tradition. Mm-hmm. But means- as
0: far as uh, but as far as Christianity and Judaism goes, Justine, I think you're in a very interesting position, you know, with Turning Point USA for example, where you are kind of on the forefront of what is a majority Christian movement with a lot of let's say uh, based uh, Jews as well that are uh, within it. But I think right now is the time where if you assume that we're living through some kind of a you know like they talk about uh, apocalypse uh, you know meaning things will be revealed if we're living in a time when we have this thing called the internet and we're able to find all this information out and we got and informant here you know scouring through all of this ancient text trying to figure out how all this came about i thought it would be interesting to kind of compare christianity with judaism and what exactly is going on there so justine before uh neil uh uh, talks about that any thoughts on the relationship between christianity and judaism
1: well christians have always recognized jewish people as as the chosen people and and also recognize that israel is our ancestral homeland um and all well even even in the quran it says they also admit it um but Think right now, and and what both Jews and Christians think need to understand now more than ever, because it is revealing itself, that when Jewish people are being attacked, it's not going, it's starting with us, it always starts with us, but Christians are going to be attacked too, and they're already under attack. The same, the same radical Islamists that, that want to see Jews wiped off the face of the earth, they, they're trying to do the same to Christians as well. ISIS cut off their heads in the Middle East and, and they continue to, to try to do that. And And I, I think that's, the problem is that, and I've seen this in some places in the conservative movement that that they think that, well, if you're, you don't believe in, in Jesus, that Jesus is the son of God, well, you're, you're an enemy, no. We share, we share the Bible. And then they've added a couple of, they've added a little bit more, but we're both, we're in the same boat here. Judaism, Judaism and Christianity, we are, we are the founders of Western values, all the values of freedom. And and I, I like how you mentioned that you hinted that we're kind of, we were always kind of ahead of our times being a little bit more practical, questioning everything, questioning some of the superstitions of the day. And I think that's what really brings Jews and Christians together and, and what, how we founded Western values, how we came, came up with the values of freedom and liberty that we enjoy in America. But when I don't think people always remember Saddam Hussein, when he called Israel Little Satan and, and America Big Satan. There's a bigger picture there. Israel is the little Satan because it, it's a little beacon of the West in, in uh, an entire region that still keeps women in caves and, and stones them. And America is is just the is much larger, but it was all all the ideals for Western society, it was all made up in Israel, in the land of Israel and Jews and Christians both contributed to that. So that's why now more than ever, we have to be united. We can't divide and conquer, as they always say. We already have problems with, with Jewish people being so divided as we've been for thousands of years, but Jews and Christians divided when we're both under attack, we're gonna be conquered and it's, it's already happening.
0: No, I mean, that's uh, that's all understandable, what you're saying about the conquering. When it does come to Christianity and Judaism, as far as what Christians are looking from the Jews, as far as, you know, some Christians have the end times prophecies, and recently the red heifer was finally given birth to, after multiple and multiple attempts and a lot of money thrown at it. But uh, anyway, as far as what exactly is the difference, though, between Christianity and Judaism, I think going forward again, like it is possible in my opinion to both be united while at the same time spreading that spirit of inquiry so that people are not going to be that tribalistic and people are while at the same time you know keeping certain customs and keeping uh, you know certain uh, beliefs end up hopefully curious enough to seek deeper and see what exactly is going on here because I don't think a lot of these things that we're experiencing right now will stop unless all of us become very interested in finding out exactly what this whole thing is. So, Neil, back to you here. What exactly do you see going on between Christianity and Judaism as far as what exactly was added from Judaism? And where do you think certain misconceptions may be when it comes to the connection between Christianity and Judaism?
2: So what I think about Christianity is... Uh, they're they're simply drawing from the Old Testament and uh applying the mess- messianic uh prophecy to Jesus um for like and, and then you know it's <sighs> so I'll just give you the big examples like the Christians will 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 constantly um and I, I get why you're justine I get why you your approach is like we're all in the same boat I, I understand what you're saying but um I, to to get like, to get critical for a minute on the Christian ideas that they have the truth and the Jews are the ones that, uh, they lost it. Like they had, they were the chosen ones, but they lost it. And now it's given to the Gentiles. Well, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll they'll go to Daniel, for example, Daniel has this prophecy that's from the time of the rebuilding of the temple, 70 weeks, and then an anointed will get cut down. like, anointed that's the christ the christ who could that's got to be jesus well it's actually not if you do the math the 70 weeks turns out turn it lands to 164 bce and that's the time of antiochus once again it's the maccabee period what happened during that period well there's a high priest named onias and onias was an anointed one because a high priest gets anointed that's how the pro that's how the uh that's how the high priest becomes a high priest they get anointed so he was cut down, and that's what that means. That's that's the prophecy. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with the high priest, Onias. Christians will always say that this is clearly about Jesus. It's not. And then you have, like, uh, Isaiah. They love to read Isaiah 53, the suffering Messiah, right? It's so obviously Jesus. Just read it. Just read it. It's so obviously Jesus. And it's like, well, have you ever thought maybe they're drawing from Isaiah? and applying it to Jesus. But not even just that. What does is is Isaiah 1 say? What does is Isaiah 2 say? That's 53. That's 53 chapters into Isaiah. What's leading up to Isaiah 53? Well, Isaiah will tell you. Isaiah will say, literally, the, the, uh, the chosen servant, the, the servant of, of God, is Israel. So the servant, the suffering servant, is Israel being suffering and being taken to Babylon. Babylon. By the Assyrians. And he's explaining everything in the text. So there's your... And so I'm not saying the Christians are wrong for looking at what happened to Jesus and he got crucified and they're like, he suffered. So I don't, I don't blame them for looking at, oh, Isaiah has a suffering Messiah and they're reapplying it to Jesus. I get that. But it's like, at the same time, that's not what the context of the text really was about. So the, I'm just bringing that up is because like, if we are to assume for the sake of argument... That the God, that the God of the old te- the, the God of the Hebrew Bible is the true God. Then then okay, let's let's take out Hinduism, let's take out Buddha, let's just, for the sake of argument, this is the true God. Now, what's the which is the true outlet? What's the true interpretation? Is it Christianity? Is it Judaism or is it Islam? To me, it's clearly just has to be Judaism. I mean, the other the other two are are what they're doing is they're just interpreting the text in the way that they want they would like and that they're taking out the original context of what these texts are actually about. And so uh the clear the Jewish messiah is is it's very clear. He's not supposed to come and die and wait 2000 years and return. He's supposed to come in his time and usher in the kingdom and that's it. And there's no question if he's here. Is, did, was he here before? Is he going to come back? No, he's supposed to come and that's supposed to be it. So I get so I, I I'm I'm good friends with Rabbi Tobias Singer who I Visited in Israel last year, spent some time with him, and he's big on this concept because there's a lot of, and I like I get what you mean by Christians and Jews being in the same boat, and but there also are a lot of Christians who are really really uh, nasty about about Jews, and they they'll, they'll they'll use parables of Jesus cursing the fig tree and say that that's Israel is cursing Israel, the fig tree is 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 the temple, and so you get get a lot of nasty ideas, anti-Semitic ideas behind it. Um, And yeah, so that's that's, what it is.
0: And I wouldn't say that these kind of revelations that Neil is talking about is in any way meant to be divisive. Quite the contrary. I think the reason why it's important to inquire about these things and to find out, well, what is actually going on in these various texts is so that people could actually join who are curious enough to find out, what exactly am I worshiping? What is going on here? to get those people united. And then all the people who instead would say, no, you're not allowed to dig through uh, whatever I believe in, you know, they're the ones that in the end are going to be zombies. They're the ones that are going to follow whatever charismatic leader happens to crop up and then command them to do the complete opposite of what they were doing the week before. So that's why I think that right now what Break the Rules is doing is kind of bringing people like yourself and Neil together so we could all kind of like hash out and find out what's going on but any thoughts on what uh, neil said right now regarding christianity and judaism
1: uh, it, it makes it makes sense but i, I think that m- my point is is that we we have to find a way to move forward and say okay so a lot of christians believe this they believe that the jews are responsible for a b and c but how do we and i think love just spoke about this a little bit how do we get people to realize that's not true and and how many people are going to remain zombies and just continue to blame the Jews forever and how many people who are Christian already already realize or who are already not like that who already don't blame Jews for everything who don't twist their scripture to do that first of all first how many people how many people actually twist the scripture to to blame Jews how many Christians do that how many Christians don't do that, and how many just maybe haven't even looked at their text in a while and and how can we get enough people to to kind of team up with us and and understand that you know we're we're not we're not their enemies
0: I don't know Neil what do you think
2: well I mean that's that's the thing is like these these dogmas have to really uh there there has to i mean the, the only way to go about that is not not being dogmatic about what your what your faith is and what you believe in because everybody's going to have an idea and it's going to conflict with the other person's idea and if everyone's dogmatic and there has to this just truth has to be the one that everyone has to follow that's where the problems reside so uh the only thing you can do is uh you have you believe in what you believe and that's it and you don't try to that's that's the problem with evangelizing like the idea of going out and evangelizing that to me is like uh it's like you you're, you're just you what you you look the same way to them as they you look as they look to you like you do you know what I'm saying like okay, so. so i don't know don't, i don't know how to answer that question other than just The people who are dogmatic are the problem.
0: (laughs) Well, before we start digging even deeper, we have a very interesting uh, uh, interlocutor here in the chat by the name of Adam Green, who I believe is like some uh, notorious anti-Semite guy. And I know Justine, if you're cool with it, uh, Gnostic, if you're cool with it, I can read some of the things that he's writing here to kind of like see, you know, like give it your best shot type of thing. So let me know. I don't care.
1: Throw it at us.
0: <laughs> All right, so Adam Green, and maybe this isn't even Adam Green, but somebody pretend to be him. He says, reading Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah as a Midrash. Then he says, belief of a suffering Messiah predates Christianity, according to top Talmudic scholar Daniel Boyerin. And then he says, what are Justine's views on the Messiah? And shout out, Lev. There we go. I don't know if that's, that didn't sound very anti-Semitic to me. Maybe that's a faker. But anyway, any thoughts, can I, guys? Can I say
2: something about the uh, suffering yeah. Messiah? Yeah, sure. I, I, I've acknowledge, I acknowledge that the, the, there's the two Messiahs concept. We find this in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a triumphant Messiah and a suffering Messiah. And I do know that they do draw from Isaiah as they did for Jesus. draw from. And so that concept is legit. What I'm saying is when Isaiah was written in its original context, it was about the suffering servant of Israel in Isaiah's time were being taken over by the Assyrians. Now, that text sits there for 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, and then you get up till Maccabean period, post-Maccabean period, Dead Sea Scroll period. That's when you start to see the suffering Messiah idea before Christianity. I acknowledge that. That, that that's an idea that uh, uh, evolves from Isaiah's text. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that concept. However, what I'm saying is the original context of what Isaiah is writing about is abundantly clear. If you read Isaiah word for word, the whole text through without just picking verses that you like.
0: Mm. Now we're going to get a little deeper into that as well uh, after Justine because you only have an hour in total and it's 540. So I wanted to go back into the main thing that I wanted to talk about in relation to the secret of Judaism, having to do with what was found in the Holy of Holies, and then get your uh, reaction Justine to what you think is going on here. So uh, Neil, take us through that. What exactly happened with these two Roman generals and what exactly they saw there? And uh, yeah, w- w- before you even say what you think it means, I'm to be very curious uh, what Justine thinks. But uh, Gnostic, go ahead. What did the general see?
2: Okay, so you're talking about the uh, the time when Antiochus. So it was a Greek. It's a Greek and a, and Pompey, the Roman. Yes, okay. yes. 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 So the first time it happened, um, there's a text from a, from a Greek writer named menaceus from around 300 BCE. I think he wrote. No, no, uh, Antiochus. This is 200 BCE. Sorry. And he writes that, according to Antiochus, when they raided the temple and one of the one of the treasures they pulled out was a golden casted golden statue of a donkey with a man riding on it. Um, uh, There's a lot of different scholars trying to interpret what this is. Some people say it could be the the image of the Messiah, obviously, because you have the Christian writers later on writing about Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, there are others who think this has something to do with Seth, um, and because Seth, the Egyptian god, the Egyptian god, and I'll tell you why. Because there was a story about the Israelites in uh, in Egypt, and when they left, when they left Egypt, their first. This Tacitus writes about this: the seventh day they were in w- wandering in the wilderness was. Um, they were thirsty and they're about to die. It spent seven days with no water. And a donkey led them to water. The donkey is the first one to find the water. And so the and Tacitus says the image. this image is the image that they uh, use to represent God because that's the, the uh, animal that God used to bring them to water. And the donkey of Set, man sitting on the donkey, because the, the, the Egyptian god Set is the god of the desert. And so sitting on the donkey was like he's on top of the donkey conquering set in that sense. Uh, there's a lot of other different interpretations, too. but Those are the two that I think mm-hmm. are the two most interesting. And then Pompey the Great. Uh, this isn't that's that's this is another. This is a whole different thing. When Pompey the Great in 63 BCE raided Jerusalem and he went into the Holy of Holies, first person ever to do it after Antiochus and. Um, and he went in there, and all he found was completely empty. All he found was a golden ivy wreath, the diadem, and the ivy diadem is the wreath that Dionysus wears. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of the Roman writers at the time, uh, you know, writing conspiracies of is this some sort of Bacchic ritualist going on here that no one knows about? Uh, Plutarch is one of the people who wrote in-depth on this. Actually, I'm have, I am have his book right in front of me. Symposiacs. There's a whole chapter in here. This is written around 100 AD. Uh, I flipped right to it just by chance, probably because I had my thumb there a bunch of times. And he says, which I don't know if you can see it. It says, which God is worshipped by the Jews? I don't know if you can barely see it. It's very... Yeah. But uh, he's, which God is worshipped by the Jews? And he goes into this long thing about... Them be, maybe is it possibly some sort of Dionysian layer to this Yahweh God, and so you know a lot. of course, to be to be completely fair, a lot of scholars just think he's wrong, but it's there. You know, yeah. it's like so. Brilliant. So, Ju-
0: Justine, is this the first time you're hearing about this? Uh, what are your thoughts on all this donkey wreath business going on here? You got to unmute yourself.
1: Sorry. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of a lot of what you're saying is the first time I'm hearing much of this. I, you have to understand. I was raised, I was raised in in a Reform synagogue, and we got like a little bit of history. And and I, I eventually switched. I'm not sure if anyone here knows Chabad, What Chabad is? Yeah,
0: Chabad Lubavitch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so when I was in college, I switched and and I, I started. Going to Chabad instead of my Reform shul, but it's interesting that like we were all, and, and I kid you not, <clears throat> you know, we were taught basic things, but much of it was all about peace and love. So, so there was a lot of that, a lot of things that I I actually missed, even about my own my own religion minus minus the stories of of, of the Torah, and it, it's just. And I think that's the problem with modern day American Jewry is that we're not equipped to handle anti-Semitism because we don't even know our own history. And, and most Jews in America are, are not even practicing. So like, they can't even understand the deeper meaning of, of this all.
0: The other concern, though, is that what I think Neil is presenting is not even something you're probably going to find at, like, a high-level shul or among, like, a lot of different uh, rabbis just because of how deep uh, hidden this thing was this whole entire time. But at the same time, I think it points to something that's pretty uh, modern as well. Because at least my interpretation of this whole donkey business and the golden uh, wreath is that it has to do with with the donkey overcoming death, overcoming dryness, because there is this whole schematic that you could see in the Kabbalah, for instance, which I see as being pretty close to, let's say, the um, uh, the uh, seven chakra system, or any other kind of like a metaphysical uh, system that would talk about transcending the state that we're currently in. And since you mentioned Shabbat Lubavitch, a lot of the things they're about is also this kind of Kabbalistic transcendence. It's a very mystical uh, sect within Judaism. And what I think the reason for the man sitting on the donkey again is, is we have the ability to transcend the state that we're in now, and Dionysus, and this is where I want to go to Neil for a second, Dionysus, from what I understand, is supposed to be the polar uh, opposite or, like, the lower part of this dualism between him and Apollo, where Apollo is supposed to be like this very... uh Uh-oh, she's gone. Here we go. She's back. Apollo is supposed to be like this very intricate mathematical entity, and... Dionysus is supposed to be this very down and dirty birth pangs of the universe, you know, sexual primal energy sort of deal going on. And as far as why Dionysus was something that was kept a little bit more hidden in the Holy of Holies as opposed to, let's say, the rabbinical focus on, you know, always like math and logic and science and kind of like a lot of the things that we see coming out of uh, the Jewish uh, diaspora, you know, since they were allowed to participate in these various fields, right? Like we don't necessarily see this kind of like hidden energy. So I'm curious, Neil, what you think is going on with this Dionysian spirit?
2: So I, I personally think that when, as Judaism is evolving into what it, what it becomes, the, the religion that we know about it is today, it, it certainly didn't start off that way right away. I think um, over time, the idea, the traits that God gets are traits that we see among other gods being kind of brought into one, the one God, right? And one of those layers that we see, and I think this is abundantly clear, Especially when you look at the designs of the temple, with the golden ivy and grape clusters, um, the Dionysian layer, uh, the, the 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 priestly garments with the tassels and the the gold and, and blue ephod, and uh, this is something that you look, If you look at the Eleusinian priests in Athens, this is how they dress. This is their. T- and so, right off the bat, I just want to say, like, when you think of Dionysus today. We think, we, th- we think of the Roman Bacchus, the god of sex and wine and partying. But if you go back farther, to way more ancient times, the, the Dionysus was considered a god who came from the east. In particular, Homer says he comes from Phoenicia, and there's other, our, our, other writers that say he came from Arabia and the deserts over there. Herodotus says that the people living in Sinai only worship Dionysus. And, and along with Aphrodite, who a lot of people think is Asherah. Now, this Dionysus is not the Dionysus of the Romans. This is a way more, way more serious, way more, uh, demiurgic. So I mean like, like in powerful, um, higher, more, uh, more serious type of Dionysus. And, um, and I think like like Yahweh, for example, I think Yahweh has a lot of traits, not just Dionysian traits, but a lot of traits of a lot of these ancient, uh, late Bronze Age, early Iron Age gods. Me- me- Metalurgy being one. A lot of the themes that we see in the Old Testament throughout the throughout the Genesis is um, the like going up into the Mount Sinai and there's fire casting mm. everywhere. And it's like there's a lot of metallurgical aspects going on.
0: Well, there's also the uh, various chants as well, right? Like a lot of the names that are used in the Torah.
2: Yeah. So one of the chants for Dionysus is uh, Ya'o, Ya'o, Eva, Eva. And that, so, and uh, Amen is like a chant you would get. And like Plutarch writes about this. Plutarch says that, you know, the Egyptians, when they called to any of the gods in particular, the sole creator God who's Amon, they say, they, they call his name out. And this is a chant that you would call for worshiping anything. Mm-hmm.
0: Yakub so, as well, right? Yakub.
2: Yakub is a name that I, that, that looks, so it looks a lot like, you like Yakus. That's one of the, that's, that's one of the oldest words for Dionysus is Yakus. Oh. So Yakub is the name of Jacob. And it's like, it's really close. I mean, I can't say for sure. I don't have like a text that I can point to and say, "Yakov." No, it doesn't. I can't do that. But what I, but I do think, like the name looks really, it, it looks like it's part of that cultural milieu of what we see in uh, the Levant in like you know late Bronze Age, early Iron Age time period. So that's that's you know that might sound like that might sound pretty uh, uh, heretical, but. Um, I, you know, that's that's sort of that's where I came to in my in my studies. So, what can we do with all this
0: information? Because we have a very strange thing. Like I said before, where on one hand, the Jewish people have always. You know, not wanted to engage in all of these uh, heretical, uh, multiple God type religions. But then now, with these particular revelations that Neil is talking about, you have a lot of these entities that later on get distributed around the pagans actually being something that's very much close to Judaism and maybe at the core of uh, what's going on here. So, to me personally, again, I'm curious just seeing what you think. My version is that there isn't really that succinct difference between, uh, the let's say, um, Dionysus and Apollo being like these two different gods. To me, Dionysus is one end of the spectrum, and Apollo is the other end of the spectrum, but really they're talking about the same thing being expressed in these different ways, kind of like Carl Jung talks about archetypes, and I think that that's been a very big uh, problem for a lot of people, being able to distinguish between, oh, well, I worship this god, and you worship that god, so we have to fight, And not really being able to look at it in a bit of a more let's say liquid type of way where I know like today people talk about the gender spectrum and all of that I'm talking about not the gender spectrum I'm talking about the God spectrum where we can see that various uh, ways that God is manifested uh, can be looked at as like these various individual gods Hinduism has a similar thing and the Torah also has a similar thing uh, about God's left hand and right hand where the left hand of God God, that is the adversary that is you know Satan that is you know the devil and the right hand is the merciful God so in Judaism and you could correct me if I'm wrong here Justine the devil isn't seen as the bad guy that must be annihilated what the devil is is once again going back to pressure it's the pressure that's against the Jews so that the Jews either succumb to the pressure Or they grow and you know what they say what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger so yeah so i know you gotta go as soon as 54 so any thoughts before you go on what neil was talking about and uh these various revelations tonight
1: i think you hit the nail on the head i I think it's it it's one god and and that that is how people have to understand it that that uh, we, we do think about it as these, well the, this is your God, this is my God, this is a different God, um, but it, it is in a spectrum. And and I think that's uh, also, you know, people always ask, people always get confused on, well, Jewish people don't believe in, in the devil and, or in a separate devil, so you, you don't believe in hell. Um, and, and that's another, that's uh, another anti- some anti-Semitic statements I've heard um, have also been based off, well, you don't believe in hell, you don't talk about the afterlife, like other religions. So um, so what? You, you don't believe in any consequences. And of course, like that's that's insane. Of course not. But we, we do we ha- in order to be religious at all, you you do have to believe in in a type of hell even if you don't see it as like hmm. a separate, as some devil that's, that's separate from God. Even if you see, as, as you mentioned, um, that the, the enemy is, is pressure. It is the, the devil is, is pressure, um, and, and it's from the same God, um, and, and that there, yes, there are consequences. The whole point in, in my opinion, in, in believing in God and having religion is, is understanding consequences and, and that's where your morals come from but it's it does make a lot of sense now when when people will you know they'll kind of twist twist what what's in the torah and say uh oh well jews don't believe in hell so they you know they must be godless that's one of my favorite
2: things about when i like learning about the sadducees in particular this the ancient sect the most ancient sect, the ones that actually were the priests in the temple. One of my favorite things about them is they don't have a hell, like the Christians come up with later. We're using concepts from Plato. It's Platonist. That's a a very metaphysical forms of Plato idea. Heaven and hell, uh, dualism, opposites, where the Sadducees didn't really concern with that. They were concerned with life right now, standards of living, um, they were. It, they didn't talk about heaven and uh, like like who's gonna go where. It was concern. That's to me. That's the that's the strength of Judaism, in my opinion. I I, I actually like that better than the idea of heaven and hell.
0: Well, and Jews also believe in. Uh, at least I know that your sect does, Justine. They believe in reincarnation. Gilgol.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's this idea that if you're you're an evil person you'll be reincarnated as a bug or as like the weakest animal uh, at the bottom of the food chain and 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 honestly I, I have always gravitated towards that belief um I don't know do I think that Hillary right now is some like ant being squashed <laughs> I I'm not (laughs) no 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 no
0: no no, no, not hopefully here's why because if you're an ant that's a very short life he would have to live a life of psychological torment which I think can only be given if you're either a human or above a human so like a god or something like that then you would be able to experience in certain states you know like a really really horrible state of torment but the other point that's related to that I was reading this very fascinating book called Agora which is about Hinduism specifically about the Agora sect there which worships around uh, you know where all the uh, dead people are burned and they also talk about how in reincarnation sometimes you can get reincarnated right at the moment of an animal being sacrificed so when you're reincarnated you're not reincarnated as this animal throughout the animals whole life you're just reincarnated once the animal is about to go into the fire and then you experience that and then you get reborn And so I find that a very interesting thing about, like, the whole animal sacrifice thing going on in Judaism as well. And would you say, I know you got to go real soon, like one minute left, but would you say that the temple is something that you think you're going to see back in your lifetime? Would you say that uh, you're kind of over it? Or do you actually want the temple to be back? And if the temple is back, are we going to start the animal sacrifices or what? What exactly do you think is going on?
1: Well, I'm not over it. <laughs> I'll never be over it. But um, do I think I'll see the temple back in, in my lifetime? Honestly, given the current events right now, given the the massive war waged against Israel and the Jewish people, both in Israel and worldwide, I, I do think it, it stands for something bigger. Is this the moment? Is this the moment that it's going to happen? And and, and we'll get our temple back and is god telling us something by by what is happening right now by the pogrom against jewish people and the onslaught that came and continues to come after it i don't know because we've been through this time and time and time again and still no temple (laughs) so i hope this is the time um i don't know if if i'll ever see it in my lifetime but hey you know, I hope to live for a really long time and I'll make sure to live for as long as I can to hopefully see that happen.
0: Mm. And uh, Justine, how many minutes do you have uh, literally left right now? Because I know it's 6 p.m. I want to keep you here for as long as possible, but I know that you also have, uh, have to go soon
1: my phone my phone is dying but i do have a portable charger so i can plug i can be here until like 605 if that works
0: okay that is that that is perfect so we got a lot of different comments here we have uh, our uh, anti-semitic friend here back uh oh, talking about third temple and noahide laws what do you think about the noahide laws so i don't know if you wanted to answer about that and by the way listen adam if you're going to send this question send it in the form of super chat So guys, send sneed sneed those super chats right now, and we're gonna answer all your questions. After I
2: I know Adam, yeah, and I'm just to help her out with how to answer that. He's asking basically if there's a scenario where Israel is in control of everything and the temple's there, is there gonna be Noahide laws for everyone that's alive that's not Jewish? No, Uh, that's
1: no. It's not like Sharia law that <laughs> i think you're, wrong religion no i know what
2: he's, i know what he's gonna say i'll just be i'll just pretend i'm adam but there are rabbis i found videos on youtube of rabbis saying that they're gonna do it
1: of course you did yeah. of course yeah.
0: <laughs> i mean that's uh, the other thing by the way in the talmud now there's this whole 4chan thing about you know i i shall denounce the talmud and all that but the thing about the talmud that i found it's like a giant 4chan itself Because in the Talmud, you have one passage talking about how if a Gentile reads the Torah, they should be executed, and another reply right after that talking about how, no, if a Gentile reads the Torah, they should be honored. So like we were talking about in the very beginning, Jews are always going to have very differing opinions. So when people try to pigeonhole Jews and say, well, this is what Jews believe, they're basically choosing the Jews that they want to represent Judaism because it makes them feel good at the end of the day to have some kind of a scapegoat to sacrifice.
1: Exactly. Um, And it's been that way for forever. Um, It's almost like, and I'll relate it to modern day politics. It's almost like when you take a a soundbite, from from an interview, from a Fox interview, and you say, "See, this is what this is actually what they did to Jesse Waters the other day. See, Jesse Waters is is an Islamophobe who hates Arabs uh, because we took this this little soundbite and and we're going to we're going to twist it. Um, but you know what? You raise a really interesting point. Jewish people haven't been able to agree on anything." For forever. And you know, it's a really our, our Achilles heel, but at the same time I think that it can save us. And I think that it has saved us before. Because we're we're not a mono uh we're not a monolith uh, but I mean, not, Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, you, you the whole point. Me. that's the whole point <laughs> of the
2: Talmud. You got the, the Mishnah and the Gomorrah and they're they're duking it out. They're they're philosophizing, they're 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 they're, right. they're debating ideas about the Bible. So mm-hmm. and and I think that's, that's how what, it should be.
1: Right that's, that's how, partially how Judaism contributed to Western, Western values, the values of deliberation, the values of having the freedom to disagree with each other and to argue, and how the fact that Israel, the very name means struggle against, uh, s- s- not against, struggle with God. Um, I, I think that's what makes Judaism so great and what makes us such a great contributor to society while at the same time, can hurt us because all these years we've thrown each other under the bus. But as we've been throwing each other under the bus to contribute, to uh, try to pacify people who just want to finish the job, at the same time, the values that have come from our many disagreements and our arguments have contributed to the values of democracy, the, the very values of having the freedom to argue and to keep questioning. That's actually what science is, by the way. Science is it, it's an argument. It's it's yeah. different. Yeah,
0: And that's why I also think that uh, regardless of what Adam is talking about here in relation to Chabad and the Chabad is going to instill these Noahide laws, I bet that if there is ever going to be a time when they're going to attempt to do something of that nature, there's going to be some Woody Allen figure who's also like part of Chabad comes out and say, you know what guys, I'm actually thinking this isn't like the best way to go about it, like why do we need to have these Noahide laws, and then the inside of Chabad is going to start arguing amongst themselves, so I don't think that there's going to be any limit to any of these things happening, I don't view any of this stuff as being that dogmatic people go on various, let's say, spiritual vehicles, if you will, Mahayana Buddhism, that's also referred to as the great vehicle. Chabad, that's another great vehicle, I guess you could say. And sure, people have some criticisms and I bet that, like all things in Judaism, there's always going to be a lot more questions than answers when things come around. And personally, and I don't think you disagree with me, neither of us want to have some kind of a totalitarian system to impose some Noahide laws on the Gentiles. So it doesn't matter what we belong to, I think we could all say that we're not about that.
1: The funny thing is, is that other religions have imposed that out of out of, and in some cases out of fear that Jewish people would impose that. But we're not the ones who have imposed that for thousands of years. We were persecuted by people who have imposed their own religion and currently currently in the Middle East, Middle Eastern nations that have kicked out Jews that killed Christians that killed Jews that like, they impose their religion as, as the end all be all. And if you don't adhere to that, and, and if you don't wear something on your head or cover up if you're a woman, you're, you're finished. So, it, but it always goes to, to blaming the Jews, the one group who has not done that. It's sure. kind of funny
2: that. Mm-hmm.
0: and before you go we have a super chat from myth vision derek of myth vision podcast five bucks thank you so much derek here's some love to lev for hosting two wonderful people anti-semitism is alive and really showing its head lately love to my jewish friends there There's we go good. and uh justine before you go where could we find you? Social media links, anything you're working on? Where can we catch you if you're going to be on TV or something? Let, let us know what's going on.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Um, I'm mainly on Twitter and Instagram. So Instagram's my full name, Justine, V-R-O-O-K-E, Murray. You can actually see. It's just my full name and click at. And then on Twitter, I'm Justine underscore Brooke. And I will keep you posted on any media hits I do. I am... Um, I'm currently working on a video about the fact that people are now praising Osama Bin Laden and saying that they believe he's right.
0: Nice. Well, not nice, but you know what I mean. That's like <laughs> Okay, okay. Before you go, look up Sick Animation Osama Road Trip when you get a chance. One of my favorite cartoons of all time. It's like Osama, he's like on a road trip with like a junior uh, you know, like a disciple or something. Uh, he's talking about how much he loves beer and girls, and he always has like, I love the United Well, I don't love the United States. And well, anyway, it's kind of a it's kind of a blue video, just so you know. It's kind of dirty, but I highly recommend you watching it, Osama Road Trip. Sick animation. Shout out to the great Mark M. Anyway, Justine, thank you so much for coming in. I would love to have you back uh, maybe live in New York uh, in the uh, in the apartment there. Uh, we're going to do various streams coming up soon. Uh, so yeah, I will uh, get you guys more info about that. We're going to have pretty soon BTR live in the city with guests actually physically there. And if you become a patron, patreon.com slash break the rules, you can also join us on the various New York adventures. $20 tier. I'm going to send you guys all kinds of invites on get-togethers that I do hoity-toiding with the New York City High Society. So, patreon.com slash break the rules. Justine, thank you so much. We're going to keep going a little bit with Neil right now. And, uh, yeah, I uh, I'm very thankful that you got to be here today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great speaking with you both.
0: Nice meeting you. Take Thanks care. Nice meeting
1: you. Take care.
0: So, Neil, now that it's the two of us, just the two of us, we can make it if we try. I want to focus on the end times and that calf, the uh, red heifer, and what exactly is going on there. Because I know that you were part of the whole uh christian ultra right wing sect back in the day and they were all about the end times and what exactly is occurring there what was there because you know we were talking about like anti-semitic christians what was their relationship to the jews and what was their view of the end times and how does this red heifer factor into all this why is you know why is cool. this such a big deal
2: the red heifer thing never really came up in much in that group that i was in but um i do know it's like some reinterpretation of uh some what's i don't know which chapter book it's even it's in the torah somewhere it's like numbers or something do it around me i don't even know i'm just off the top of my head, and-
0: it's Numbers 19. Yeah, so it okay. says over here the children of Israel were commanded to obtain a red heifer without spot, yeah. wherein there is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. The heifer is then to be slaughtered and burned outside the camp cedar wood, hyssop, uh, wool, yarn, uh, blah 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 blah,
2: scarlet, scarlet, uh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And it says over here the Mishnah, uh, talks about how the red heifer, uh, there's a tractate on it. Um, uh, it has no existing germatria, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so yeah, there's some stuff about the red heifer here in the Jewish tradition. Uh, but exactly what is supposed to come of that red heifer? I don't know. There's the temple Institute. I think that's the organization that was funding this, uh, birth of the red heifer. And, I think, I think yeah. the
2: idea is it's such a rare occurrence to have an all red heifer with no spots that it's supposed to mark the first sacrifice in the new temple of the the age of the Messiah. So, I don't know. I, that's as far as I know. I have no idea how serious people... I don't... That's as much as I know about it, to be honest. I haven't done much work into that.
0: Well, as far as the Messiah and the End Times goes, Red Heifer or not, what exactly is supposed to go down and what was the group that you were f- affiliated with back uh, then? What were they talking about? What was their... And goal and how did they see Jews playing in that goal?
2: So their, their their focus was on revelation, reinterpreting revelation in the new times. For example, like the mark of the beast, the mark on everyone's hand and that, that they're going to insert some sort of chip in everybody that only if you had this chip, you can buy and sell. And I noticed a lot of people tried to recently try to interpret that as like, well, if you don't have a vaccine, then you can Or can't
0: Neuralink, buy. Elon Musk, things like that.
2: So there's that, yeah, so there's that that interpretation of it. A new Antichrist will rise up, who a lot of people think is going to be a political, you know, president or something on that matter. Um, you have the Gog and Magog thing. So Gog and Magog originally comes from Ezekiel. And at first in the text of Ezekiel, it's Gog of Magog. So it looks like there's a king named Gog of Magog. But as this text sort of evolves... And the Christians take take on this; kind of, it becomes kind of like an archetype, and Christians map it on as two different places, Gog and Magog, that are warring factions, both against Israel, both uh, northern places. Um, there's a text. There's a it's in the Quran actually, and Gog and Magog are the two nations that the dual car name, the two horned one, um, was gonna is gonna. Put up a, a, a wall, and this wall is going to stay up until the end times when God allows Gog and Magog to break through the wall and mm-hmm. take over everything. Wait, so, wasn't
0: that Alexander the Great? By the way, the two horned. I one? was
2: just going to say, there's another text that predates the the Quran that is so similar to this that it, there it, it, like there's a sequence. Even the sequence is similar. So by the way, two horned one. The guy from the Quran, all right, he builds a wall between two mountains, and the, the wall leaves out Gog and Magog. Now, in the, in the Alexander Romance, it's Goth and Magoth, so this is how this is, gets interpreted as the Gothic nations, right, Goth and Magoth, and Alexander the Great has two horns on the coins. He's considered the son of Amon. He's horned in, the, in his depictions. So he become like he. This is before the Quran. So a lot of people, like myself included, think that the the Quran is drawing from Byzantine legends. Because by the way, one of the one of the languages that the, the Alexander Romance was translated in before 600 A.D. was Syriac and Arabic. So this text was a was a, was alive and well in the Arabic world. People knew about this legend of the of Alexander having you know building a wall between Gog and Magog. And in this text, in the, in the Alexander Romance, Alexander puts up this wall between Goth and Magog and keeps them out.
0: So you're saying that this is in relation to what's going on right now with Russia and Ukraine?
2: That's what a lot of people are interpreting it as because that's where the, that's where the older Christian maps put them. They, put, they literally have the region that is now Ukraine as one of them, Gog, I think, and then the bigger region, Magog, you can actually find old Christian maps that, sh- that map it out that way. I don't know when you start seeing that, but I, it's mm. post-Christian era.
0: But is that enough for you to say necessarily that these are signs that this is a legit end-time scenario? Or, as we were talking about before, do you think, well, people will have pattern recognition. That's how we're able to survive, and that's what's actually going on here.
2: Yeah, because—and I'll give you another example, is the uh, the, the Fleets of the kittim. So in the in a lot of this the fleets of the Shittim or uh, Kitim whatever the changes depending on what if it's Hebrew or, English, or you're reading the translation and um, it's in, in in its original context it's talking about the seafaring people coming from Cyprus the Cyprians and they're they're the fleets of the Kittim that are invading uh, the Levant then this fleets of the Kittim is shows up in Daniel shows up in other texts where it's the Greeks they are the fleets of the Kittim it becomes an archetype you reapply the fleets of the Kittim to the Greeks and then in the in the dead sea scrolls in the war scroll they use the same terminology for the romans the romans become the fleets of the kittim so gog and magog is like this you take this these these words that meant something before and they over time as new as the world changes and there's new geopolitical situations you map these archetypes on. So Gog and Magogs, Russia, Ukraine, um, fleets of the Kittim are the Romans. You know, you might even, someone today might even say the fleets of the Kittim are the Americans coming in and helping Israel. You know, something like that. Like, but like, as far as Gog and Magog goes, I, I have to admit, and I, a lot of people will admit this, it is interesting because it is the same region that these warring states are in. However, this place is always at war. There's always wars going on in that part of the world. It's just it just happens to be right bordering two continents, and bordering two, you know, just the Eurasian continent basically. And it just just happens to be a place where there's a lot of war. The, yeah, the so Mont- it's kind of
0: sure a surefire bet rather than making a prediction like Timbuktu or something. Like it's understandable why that one would be so successful as far as uh, the predictions go. But I don't know. That does fly in the face of a lot of uh, Let's say hopes, if hope is the right word here, probably not that people have when it comes to the end times and transitioning from what we have right now. I mean, look, we have the Internet before we had the printing press and uh, we have all these various axial ages and there are patterns that people want to map onto it, which may not be that necessarily um, wrong. Cause that whole four chan quote about hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times. I mean, that's a very understandable thing. If you have too many creature comforts, you're going to, you know, lose side of the game, and uh, somebody else is going to win. So I
2: I don't blame them for reinterpreting these texts for modern times. I think that's just what how it's just natural that they're going to do that. Uh, the Josephus talks about this the sect of the Essenes in the first century and that they practiced this, they would look into the scriptures and they would reapply the scriptures to modern times, to current events. So, hmm. this, this is just standardized. And by the way, as far as uh predicting the end times, there's probably over a thousand now that you can look at, not, not just random people on the street. Like, I'm looking at a list, you got Hippolytus of Rome. Sec, uh, uh, Julius Africanus, Irenaeus, Gregory of Tours, Pope Sylvester II, Pope Innocent III, uh, the list goes. Martin Luther, here's another one, Sabatai Zevi. The, there, there's so many. These people drew out using the Bible, using Daniel and Revelation, and they mapped out the dates of when the end times are going to come. All those dates have came and came and left. There was one that just happened a couple of years ago that was a big one. The church that I was in thought that it was this was the one. They were like sure, like they were like telling people, don't have kids, don't get out, just drop out of school, just get ready for it, and like it just came and left. So it's just gonna keep happening. There's gonna there, someone's gonna come up with a new date using a new math, uh, whatever, using some new method that they figured out, in Daniel and Revelation multiplying the seventy weeks with the twelve astrological whatever they're doing, and they they'll, they'll find a new date. Hmm. It'll be twenty twenty seven next or something, you know.
0: Well, astrological, that's an interesting thing that you mentioned, because out of all these, you know, Pope Sylvester, you know, half man, half cat, suffer and succotash. uh, (laughs) Other than other than uh, uh, beings of that sort, you also have people who put in a lot of time, energy and uh, God knows what kind of secret Atlantean technology in order to create these megaliths that are supposed to tell like galactic time like you have the allegedly the uh, constellation of leo visible when looking uh, from the sphinx during the equinox so you have all this kind of stuff that points to there being like these systems like Gebekli Tepe for instance that would have no place for hunter-gatherers. You know, like hunter-gatherers would be too busy hunting and gathering. They wouldn't create like this giant astrological uh, station, you know, in order to tell time as far as like 26,000 years, things like that. Or the Mayan calendar, you know, things of that nature. So when I take a look at that, I think, man, there's got to be way 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 more stuff going on as far as certain predictions not necessarily the predictions of pope sylvester but as far as people being able to take uh you know take a wider view of time like that i'm kind of curious like what you think in relation to the astrology and uh, what you just talked about right now not talking again about people piecing together you know book of revelations must be now but as far as looking at these bigger bigger ages any thoughts on that
2: while well, the Egyptians and Babylonians were very much, uh, very brilliant at mapping out the stars based on what the technologies they had, you know, very, very beyond what I would be able to do, uh, especially the Babylonians, but the Egyptians also, like, in their infrastructure, you know, did this type of stuff. Um, they, yeah, I don't know. As far as Gobekli Tepe goes, it seems like they were, there's some pretty good, um, like how they the, their methods of carving in the stones and stuff like that. But I don't know if there's like anything like pointing to the stars in those ones. Those ones are a little bit more primitive.
0: Mm, I mean they're more primitive than I don't know, Egypt, uh, the yeah, the Egyptian pyramids sure, but you got to understand also how big but these things not, are.
2: No, for for the time period that they're in 10,000 like people are saying 10,000 BC or eight, hey, somewhere between 10,000 and 8,000 yeah. BC. That before they discovered this that was a time period that's Stone Age still, late Stone Age. So, they're like, finding this is like, changes everything. It pushes back the dates of civilization as we know it, by 2000, like three 4,000 years almost. So... Well-
0: well, people it, are still saying that it's hunter gatherers who supposedly did that, but again, I'm sorry, but as a hunter gatherer, I respect all the hunter gatherers out there in the world, but I don't think you guys would have time to necessarily sit down and come up with this, you know, ingenious structure with all these
2: you know, giant that's, And that's stone. why people, that's why a lot of people now are re-reassessing what was going on in that period. Like Turkey is probably most likely the start of civilization.
0: I mean, it kind of makes sense if we're talking about Mount Ararat and uh, Noah's Ark and all that. Right. Yeah. There we go.
2: It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Also, another another thing that this that started in Turkey right near Mount Ararat, too, Mm. a little bit north in the Caucasus region, the cultivation of of the grapes, the grapevine was discovered in that region. How to make wine is discovered. Mm,
0: Dionysus.
2: And that 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 can start like think about how much change that can bring and to learn how to cultivate the vine and use it for like changing your mood, your mindset. And, you know, the, obviously getting drunk would be like crazy to someone who never been drunk before. So th- that's like a civilization starter right there. And they, they sure. said, that, they said that, that they can date that to like 6,000 BC. And it's well, still le- learning. Still, we're talking almost barely yeah. barely into the, uh, uh, it's not even copper age yet. It's still late stone age.
0: Well, learning versus being taught. There was a recent interview that uh, Graham Hancock, and I know like people have disagreements about the guy, but he, on Joe Rogan's podcast, said that uh, the natives of South America, that they're the ones who talk about these uh, civilizer gods coming in and uh, bringing them a lot of the civilization. And it goes to this idea that there was once this cataclysm and the survivors of that cataclysm had to start over and uh, rebuild. And this is where we get a lot of these various uh, gods. And I don't know, I find it to be a very fascinating uh, concept, which could kind of explain why we have these remnants of, uh, you know, these giant megalithic structures that talk about, uh, you know, time in such an expansive way, you know, the position of the pyramids having to do with the constellation of Orion, you know, it could go on and on and on. But uh, anyway, we have over here a couple of chats. These are not super chats, by the way. What's wrong with the people? But I'm going to be a nice guy for the sake of Ivane because Ivane does bring up a very interesting uh, question here. The rest of you guys, I am not going to answer shit until I get super chats, So need those super chats. But anyway, Uvane says over here, Neil is so lost on the details. Oh no. Could you, did you hear that, Neil? Can
2: you specify what I'm lost on?
0: He, he is. Yeah. Uvane says, Gog is from Gutia or Gutia. And then he says Gutia or Kuta was in war with everybody.
2: From what text is this from?
0: Uh, I don't know that he goes on to talk about, uh, how the, uh, how the gnomes did something? What is it about the gnomes built them? Saturn is the uh, master mason. All right, before I get yeah, too down,
2: lost in the details. Okay, you got yeah,
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Before I go too down the rabbit hole of Uvane here, Uvane, if you have any other things related to Gutierre or Coutierre or whatever, be sure to uh, let me know about that. But anyway, uh, before we conclude the stream, I do want to ask once again about where most Christians stand with what's going to happen in the uh, age of the Messiah and where also the Muslims stand, if we want to touch on that, as well as where the Jews stand. What are the differences here as far as uh, what's going to happen? Say that again? Well, what are the differences in terms of the end times of the Jews, the Muslims, the Christians, where exactly?
2: Yeah, so the Christians obviously have the idea that Jesus is going to come back. Whereas the Jews actually say the Messiah never came yet. So Messiah is supposed to come for the first time and usher in the end times where Israel is going to, you know, have their temple back and all that stuff. And for the Christians, it's more about ushering the kingdom of heaven on earth, Uh, the apocalypse, you know, um, it's not that different, I guess. Like in one sense, it's the Christians who are are in control and that are chosen and that. They're the, they're the saved the ones where everyone else is gonna you know sort of perish, and um, including the Jews
0: or are the Jews gonna be alright? Jews, especially. Oh no! <laughs>
2: I'm not just saying this is what the Christians believe. Yeah. It's nice, yeah. And all
0: and all this time, these evangelicals are treating the uh, the Jews so they, nice. They say it's so new,
2: the new Israel is the is the yeah. is the the Christians the, the, yeah. the ones who have faith in Christ. That's the new Israel. The old Israel is no, has nothing. There is this there is this passage in Revelation, about 180,000 or 144,000 um, uh, from, I think it's like 12,000 from every, something like that. You know what I'm talking about. Sure. From, every, from all the 12 tribes that are, that's it. There are only going to be 12,000 from every tribe that are going to be allowed to, for whatever reason, maybe they were nice to Christians with one in, in their life or so I don't know. For whatever reason, it's in Revelation though, where it says that's the only amount of number that's gonna make it. Yeah. They, they have a small limit of a hundred and forty four thousand yeah. Jews that are gonna survive. And then everyone else is gonna die. So well,
1: well,
0: maybe that's just like another pressure, you know. Like they, they don't want to be too lenient. You know what it reminds me of, by the way, Neil. It reminds me of exactly the shit that they pulled in uh, the imperialist Russia back in the day, where Jews were only allowed like a certain percentage of them. To go into the university system or to get certain
2: jobs, so oh, I that's I that was in Europe too.
0: Yeah, and I wonder like why why it was like only like a certain percentage. Like they didn't exclude everybody; they took like a certain percentage. And same thing you find in the uh, in the Bible, apparently in the no. New Testament.
2: Do you uh, do you know the you know, you know the Pope Alexander, the one that they made the show about, the Borgia Pope?
0: Okay, sure.
2: He was known. Well, first of all, he's known for being, like, very wicked and, like, having orgies and, like, marrying twice and having children, nice. which most popes don't even have any kids. But he also, on an on a human, humanist side, was very loved by the historians because when the Jews were kicked out of Spain, he allowed them all to live in Italy, gave them special rights to live in Italy. You know, they all were allowed to live... At, with the same rights as everyone else. This was a huge, huge deal. And he was criticized so heavily. He was called like the devil pope for this. And he he, he went against the, the popular consensus of most Christians, most Catholics of the time period, who were very, very anti-Semitic at the time period. This is the 1490s we're talking about.
0: Well, I guess it's kind of like Oscar Schindler in a way, who, from what I recall, was uh, kind of a womanizer, and he ended up saving the Jews in the Holocaust. So, in a way, I think uh, just just my interpretation of this uh, Poe Gregory story is that there are people out there who do kind of like let themselves go in one way, but at the same time, the people who don't let themselves go, the people who end up just being like these very dogmatic people, it almost feels like they're not being dogmatic because they realize this is like, you know, it's better to follow this faith and be good to your neighbors and all that. They do it because they don't want to go to hell. And they probably want to be, and I'm not saying all of them, but those ones that are like super dogmatic, those that just like follow, you know, I must pray this amount of times, I must do this, I must do that, or else I'm going to get in trouble. It almost feels like the reason why they're doing it is so they can kind of, you know, like be saved as opposed to changing who they are within. Do you know what I mean? And in a way, it seems kind of selfish.
2: It's interesting that you say that because that's like the, to me, it seems like that's the message that you get from Jesus in the the New Testament is like these all these Pharisees and Sadducees that they're 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 clean on the outside but on the inside they're full of you know yeah and there's this idea of like being obsessed over the law and the scriptures and searching the scripture and being a scribe scribal being good at that sense but then it's like what kind of person are you inside and this is this to, to the credit of Christianity I, I, I agree with this message of like uh, the being circumcised in the heart rather than in the flesh where it's like it's not about like following. It's not about being this devout, perfect person, according to the text. But it's about like actually doing, giving, like bearing good fruit to the world. Uh, that, that's a good message, I think.
0: It's like that. Uh, Dexter's Very human. Very yeah. Human. Yeah. Oh, it's like that Dexter's Laboratory episode where Dexter uh, grew a beard, and in the end, Action hangs said, it's not the beard on the outside, but it's the beard on the inside that counts. So, yeah, I mean, we both have uh, you know pretty uh, nice uh, beards right now. Maybe I'm going to grow mine out, go into, like, full rabbi mode. But uh, anyway, we do have a super chat over here uh, who says, uh, Salvation, Salvation 499, who says, can Neil explain when he thinks the Old Testament was written?
2: Ooh, Ooh I... I, I... I'm that. That's a good question. So it's part of my video that you uh, saw that got you to do this stream to begin with was this. This is what I think. So and this is not just me. There's. um, Let's see. Where do
1: I have the text?
2: Everybody subscribe while Neil is looking. Patreon.com and also by the
0: way, LovesLens.com. Go to my Substack this instance. Listen, I'm talking to all of the 69. Ooh, 69. I'm talking to all the 69 people who are watching the stream right now. I'm pointing at you. Go to my Substack. Register on the Substack go to it, read the article, sign up, become a subscriber to the Love's Lens Substack. If you do that, not only will I be eternally grateful, but you're going to get a lot out of it. I recently wrote an article about Hassan Piker, AKA Hamas Piker, so be sure to read that. And I am actually coming out with a video about Hassan Piker. As soon as we're done here, I'm gonna be back to the editing bay. I have this much left to do, and it's the greatest video you guys have ever seen. I swear to God, it's amazing. I rarely say this about any video, but this video has all kinds of crazy shit in it. You guys wouldn't even believe what I have Hassan Piker doing in this video. Like it's like a full Monty Python with Hassan Piker and um, Sam Hyde makes an appearance and it's just, it's nuts. So guys, be sure to watch that as soon as it comes out. Uh, it's going to be on break the rules, hopefully either this night or in the morning, but either way, it's, it's quite a trip. It's quite a trip and a half. So Neil, how are you doing with that passage, buddy?
2: So oh, I, I, I just wanted to show that uh, there's a scholar named Russell Comerkin. This is fully peer reviewed tax from Co- Copenhagen international seminar. Um, very, very well cited. And, He In this text, he's got a couple different books that are going to highlight what I'm talking about. This particular text is about the laws in the Torah and how they seem to line up very much with laws that we find in Athens from Solon and Lycurgus. And so so this is what I think. I think that Judaism as we know it is an evolution from the time of, you know, you know, middle of the Iron Age, somewhere when there's uh, before they before Babylon or before the Babylonians and Assyrians conquer Israel and bring them to Persia, bring them into Babylon, and the Persians let them come back. And at that point in time, what I think is happening is Israel is polytheistic like everyone else is. Um, not, to, not to say that there isn't a priesthood in Jerusalem that worships, that doesn't worship Yahweh. I think that's probably the case. Um, but what I think happens is when they come back. That's when they start to uh, form formulate the religion of Judaism as we know it. And I think that what happens is after Alexander the Great conquers the Persians and there's another huge war that happens in Gaza, by the way. It's wow. weird. There's another war in Gaza. This happens around 310 BCE between Demetri- De- uh, Demetrius Poliocrites, who's the son of one of Alexander's generals. Uh, Antigonus, and he fights against Ptolemy, Ptolemy Soter, uh, son of Lagus, and uh, Ptolemy whoops him, destroys him, just absolutely wrecks his ass, and uh, conquers all of Judea and Syria. All of it. And he takes hundreds of thousands of Jewish slaves back to Alexandria, Egypt. Then, while they're there, we have texts that highlight all this. I'm not just making this. This is not just like my Brainstorming this text Josephus talks about this. We have some letters preserved from Aristius. We have uh, Hecateus of Abdera, we have some other people as well, and they talk about how during this time period um, the Septuagint the Pentateuch was created and What they did they say that they basically took a lot of the Hebrew scriptures that, that were available into these in these priesthoods and brought him into alexandria and they cr- constructed the pentateuch and that's when i think the hebrew bible as we know it is was created so i'm yeah. i say around 300 to 270 bce um and then you're probably people probably hearing this probably like what i i was told it's fine wikipedia even says it's five or around 500 bce we already have all these like no or or some people might even think moses wrote this thing and 1300 bc which is nobody says that not not one scholar yeah. even christian that, that, that
0: would be funny though if moses wrote the whole thing including like songs solomon and- <laughs>
2: right. but here's my my reasoning for that yeah. is not just because I, i'm not just appealing to and i'm not just appealing to authority on gamerican here and by the way a is not most mainstream scholars won't say this there are more and more that are now saying this it's a growing opinion um but one of the reasons, my main reason for this, is when we look around at the sources, like Herodotus, for example. Herodotus is writing in 450 BCE. He writes about the Syrians, the Phoenicians, the Arabians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians. He writes about all these different religions all over the place, and he's there is no he doesn't say anything about Judaism yet. Well, okay, that's kind of a, that's kind of an argument from silence. It's actually not just Herodotus. There's not a single source in Egypt. In Persian records, and, uh, and people living in, in Ionia, which is modern-day Turkey, none of these sources ever mention Judaism until the Hellenistic period, until 300 BCE. Not only that, not only that, because that's still an argument from silence, you could still say, well, they just didn't know about it. That's true. That could be the case. However, this is, this is the kicker for me. There was a group of Jews... Who when when the sec when the first temple was destroyed, um, when Nebuchadnezzar laid everything waste, they not not all of them went to Babylon. A lot of Jews went to Egypt and they built a temple down in Elephantine, which is a city in it's on an island in Egypt in the Nile. If we look at their we have texts from we found we have their text, we have the physical text. Hundreds of texts. Hundreds. We know a lot about them. They don't just worship one god. They worship a lot of gods. They worship Yahweh. They worship Asherah. They worship Osiris. They worship Isis, Kunum, Set. Uh, There's just a whole plethora of deities. And this is in 400 BCE. 400 and 500 BCE. So that's, and they have no knowledge of, of like, the Torah, they don't mention a Torah. They don't mention anything. There's no. It's, it's a whole different religion. Wow. So that, to me, indicates it doesn't mean it's for, doesn't mean I can say it's 100% guarantee that there there are no Torah yet. Maybe there is, but if there was, not a lot of people knew about it. it doesn't show up in any of the primary sources around the world. So the only time you start hearing about the Torah is after 300 BC. And anybody can challenge me on that. I would love somebody to show me otherwise, because I would change my mind right away.
0: Yeah, wow, man, this is uh, this is all this is all very trippy. It is. I, I love crazy. I, I love finding food. all this information out, dissecting it. I think you are uh, like the Pale King said that uh, you know you are a walking encyclopedia. And no, no way. I feel, you're so I feel, no, there's so no, mad. no, no. You're being modest because you are somebody who has transcended. Uh, I mean, just like personally speaking, I think you would agree that you transcended whatever state you were in before, the struggles that you had in life in order to get to where you are right now. And I think that that serves as a great example to all the people right now who might be watching, who are down on the dumps, who think like, okay, this is like such a low point in my life. I mean, it's amazing like what you were able to do. And that's why I think that knowledge could be such a gift if people are ready to receive it you know if people are ready to accept the fact that we don't necessarily have to be tribal and it doesn't mean that we're going to fight each other when we start discovering all these things like i was talking about with justine if we can agree that we're all coming from a good place we don't want to hurt other people we don't want to enslave other people what do we want we want the truth And that's what you're doing. And if other people are about that, I want you guys on board. I want you guys on board with what I'm building here on BTR, New York City. I have access to all these various people who I've met who are very interesting. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to be meeting a couple of people on the day after tomorrow. Uh, So, you know, things are happening. And even though New York is kind of also down on the dumps, you could say, just like a person can go out from that state and transcend it, I think all of it is also a test when it comes to New York City and other cities right now. I think that we can get out. I'm talking to all the New Yorkers right now. I think we can get out of the situation we're in right now as long as we talk and agree on the problems that are at hand, then we can solve them. And by supporting BTR, if you guys go to uh, BreakTheRules.com No, don't go there. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Patreon.com slash BreakTheRules. If you guys go to Patreon.com Slash, break the rules if you become a patron today, and if you become a $20 patron in particular, you guys are going to get access to the New York City High Society that I've been cultivating and meeting with. And today is the day that I'm swearing to you guys we are going to change everything with your help, and with Neil's help, and with Myth Vision's help, and with Justine's help, and with the help of everybody here. Patreon.com slash rules Become a patron today. And you know what? Even the $5 tier ain't bad. It ain't bad because you guys are going to get the MP3 episodes right after they come out. You're going to get Discord privileges. Uh, you are going to get our gratitude and love for pushing this thing through. And this is only the beginning, guys. Lastly, $50 tier. By becoming a patron, you guys are going to get private sessions with me where I teach you guys how to make a podcast how to make a live stream I've been through the process I know what I'm doing and you guys can trust me on you know like the various things having to do with OBS having to do with setting up um, the various live stream channels um, you know coordinating with chats the chat bots, all that stuff so yeah go for that and lastly discord If you guys are not on Discord, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Why are you outside? You know, why are you uh, going to the gym? No, you guys should be on Discord and you guys should be on the Break the Rules Discord, uh, jamming with all the other people there. And here's the link to the Discord. I'm posting it on the chat. Here you are, guys. And now I seriously gotta go. I gotta finish the editing of this Hassan Piker clip. Lastly, before the plugs, I just wanna say, Neil, is that light for the zoomers is that light like the like, like the catnip for the zoomers they just like exactly. stare at it and
2: <laughs> it's my man it's like my magic hermes wand that's gonna <laughs> cast the spell on you
0: oh nice that's a good uh that's a good line for next time you're uh at a bar but anyway uh neil what is uh what is what you're working on right now buddy and where can we find your channel? How could all the good people support you? So first they support you. Then they're going to support patreon.com slash break the rules. But how can they support you?
2: Just go to my channel, youtube.com slash Gnostic and check it out. I'm working on some new projects. Got a couple of things on the out coming out. So stay tuned. I just dropped a video about early Christianity, two and a half hours long documentary. And uh, that one's – that one's – uh turning some heads some people don't like it some people like it it's, it's interesting to read the, some of the comments i can't read them all obviously but sometimes i'll catch them when I, when I when it comes up on the screen but there's a lot there's like 600 comments already so there's no way i'll be able to read them up but yeah it's it's a lot of mixed reviews people people uh have some feelings about it and you and you, you also have
0: patreon.com right you also have a patreon yeah i
2: got a patreon yeah
0: all right excellent and by the way here's a little preview if you guys uh let's see if uh here we go okay so you're not seeing it on the screen unfortunately neil but you guys could see it hassan piker Sitting on the throne, Neil. If you go to YouTube, you're going to see it. But this is just like one of the many splendid visuals that you guys are going to see in this upcoming Hassan Piker video that I'm editing right now. See his floors. He- oh, you don't see the floor, but anyway, the floor is like all Sonic the Hedgehog themed. But anyway, uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, and once again, if you want to support Patreon.com/BreakTheRules, become a patron right now. And that's it. Leave a comment, share this video with all your loved ones, with your dogs and your cats as well. And uh, that's it. Follow me on Twitter at Le-